Well, if you would now take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1. Today, we expect to finish Romans, chapter 1. We will look this morning at verses 24 through 27. And then this evening, we will seek to, uh, to finish out the chapter. And so, uh, Lord willing, I always need to add that in, but Lord willing, we will finish Romans chapter 1 uh, today. It's a tough section. Uh, I, I acknowledge that. It is a difficult section. Uh, week after week, God is bringing us back to Romans 1 and revealing to us the depths of our depravity, and of our wickedness as a human race. It's like we're sitting with a doctor. And the doctor has a cure for us. But before we're willing to take his cure, we want him to describe what's wrong with us. We want him to describe the cancer. Tell us where the cancer is. Tell us how bad the the cancer is. Because only once we have that information will we be willing to humble ourselves and do what's necessary to take his cure. The cure being offered is the gospel. And God here is kindly, gently, but clearly explaining to us why we need it so badly. God is seeking to humble us in these verses. He wants us to see the depths of our sin sickness so that we will see why the gospel is so important and so needed. But not only that, He wants to remind us of why those we live around need the gospel so badly. He's reminding us of why we, as Christians, ought to be passionate about proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ to our family members and friends and all humanity. Because these verses describe all of us. We're all in trouble without the gospel. So let me again remind you that the purpose of these verses is not to depress you. Or at least, they're not to leave you depressed. The purpose of these verses is to keep you looking to Christ every day and to keep you passionate and earnest about sharing the gospel with those around you. These verses teach that we are great sinners. But the verses to come are going to teach that we have a God whose grace is greater than our sin. That we have a Savior whose love reaches further than our wickedness. And that there is a Holy Spirit who is more than capable of completing this transformation work of changing us from the wretched kind of people described in Romans 1 to the very image of Christ that we will have in heaven. So you know the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey would say, right? You know the rest of the story. You you know what comes after Romans 1. And so these verses should not discourage you. They should make you thankful. They should make you love your Savior all the more. Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, do you love your Savior? I hope these verses will help in that. What are the ugly truths that we've seen? Just let these soak in, because these are big, big truths. Um, The first truth we've seen is that all people are under the wrath of God. It's verse 18. Let's look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress 
the truth. And then Paul goes on to say that the reason we're all under the wrath of God is that even though we know that God exists, and even though we know that He's worthy of our honor and our thanksgiving, we try and suppress those realities and and push them away and pretend like they're not true so that we can live disobediently and not feel guilty about it. That's verses 19 through 21. Let's read those. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's keep going. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, this wicked choice to not acknowledge God and to not give Him the honor and think that He's due, but to try and suppress Him out of our lives has had devastating consequences on the human race. And we've looked at the four consequences Paul points out. Futile thinking, darkened hearts, foolishness, and idolatry. And that's where we were before the snow came. Before today. This is what we've done to ourselves. We who were created and called good by God and were a pleasure to the very soul of God, we have now become abhorrent to Him. Criminals guilty of cosmic treason against the ruler of the universe. He made a covenant with us in the Garden of Eden. Covenant of works. He promised Adam that if he would simply trust and obey the God who had created him and given him all of this glory in the garden, if Adam would simply obey him, he would be forever blessed. And Adam's descendants, us, would have been forever blessed. And there was only one command not to, 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 to not eat from that tree. But God said, if you don't trust me and if you disobey, I will bring curses upon you. God was good and right to make such a covenant. And Adam broke it. And as Romans 5.12 teaches, when Adam sinned, we sinned. He was our representative, our ambassador of the human race, and his sin has now brought a curse upon us all. In verses 24 to the end of chapter 1, explain this curse, God's response of judgment against our sin. Verses 24 through the end of the chapter are an explanation not of the future judgment to come, not of hell. Rather, these verses explain the judgment that fell on mankind at the garden and exists to this very day. Paul's going to be speaking in the past tense because he's looking back on human history and how ever since the fall, God has related to man, but make no mistake about it. The judgment that he describes in these verses is a present reality. It is a judgment that humanity lives in today. 
So as you read these verses, you should say, yeah, I know that's true today. I can see God's judgment. What is this judgment? How has God responded to our wicked rebellion? We see it over and over and over again in the refrain, God gave them up. Do you see it? Look at verse 24. Verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God, what? Gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Here is God's judgment on humanity. We didn't want Him. We don't want, what we want is the things of this world. We want things that cannot eternally satisfy. We want things that cannot meet our deepest needs. And we want them to be our gods. We want these things of the world to give our lives joy and meaning and purpose. And we want to chase after sensual pleasures and earthly delights as if they're better and more worthy of our allegiance than the God who created us. And how does God judge us? By giving us over those empty, fruitless desires and their consequences. It's as if God says to humanity, okay, you want to forsake the fountain of living waters and, and run to broken wells that can't hold water? Okay? Well, here's my judgment upon you. I will give you over to those desires so that now in your heart you not only desire empty wells, you will burn, you will lust, you will have passion for things that are trivial and harmful and even unnatural. If that's what you desire more than me, then I'm going to give you over to those desires so that you become a slave to those desires. Friends, Apart from Christ, our impure desires have mastery over us. Jesus said in John 8, 34, truly, truly. By the way, why does he say truly, truly? What's he saying there? He said, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Count on it. Mark this down. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. In other words, the moment we as humanity and the moment you as an individual choose to sin against God, you are given over to sin and it is now your slave master. And until Christ changes you, sin will rule your heart. You will be moved and driven by selfishness, man-centered desires, and all sorts of lusts that lead to corruption. And you know this slavery I'm talking about. You show me one human being that's living apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who can go one day without sinning. You show me one. And you can't. 
You can't do it because God has given us over to our false gods and we are bound to them. Look at verses 24 and 25 with me. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's kind of like ancient Israel. (laughs) After everything that God had done for ancient Israel, they continued to reject God, and they continued to desire to be like all the nations around them with their paganism. So how did God respond? By giving them to the other nations with their paganism. God says, you don't want me as your God? You don't want to be a nation? You want to be like all the other nations Then here? Go be like all the other nations. And he gave them into slavery to the other nations. That's what he does to us. You want to chase after all these things that that are not me and which you were not made for? You want to chase after them as your gods? Then I will give 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 you to them and they will be your gods. It's a great example of this in 1 Samuel 8. We turn with me to 1 Samuel 8. Turn over to the Old Testament. Look at this. This is, I think, a good illustration. 1 Samuel chapter 8. God had told Israel that they would be different from all the other nations. All the other nations had kings that ruled over them, but Israel, Israel was different. Israel was not to be ruled by a human king. Israel was to be ruled by the Lord their God. It was God who would appoint leaders over them and judges to hear their cases and priests to lead them in worship. God would be their king. And could there be a better king? Has there ever been a king more noble or pure? or wise, or powerful, or glorious than God Himself. And yet, what do the people of Israel say? The same thing all humanity has said to God. We want someone else to be our king. We want want someone in our image. We want some created thing, some created person. We don't want the Creator as our king. We, We want something else. Look at 1 Samuel 8, beginning in verse 10. Verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, 
You will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Samuel says to the people, don't cry out for a human king. Let God be your king. If you have a human king, he's gonna be a sl- you're going to end up being a slave. What did the people say? We don't want God as our king. Look at verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And what, does, what happens? Look at verse 21. And when Samuel had heard the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice. Make them a king. God gave them over. We don't want you, God. We want something else to be our king, some other leader, some other thing to judge us and govern us. God gave them over to it. And in the end, it would be the kings of Israel and Judah who would lead them into sin and apostasy and ultimately into slavery and death. This is the story of the human race. We don't want God. We want to love and serve earthly things. And God gives us over to earthly things as slaves. And friends, this slavery to sinful desires leads us into all sorts of despicable thoughts, words, and actions. If God was our God and we trusted Him and looked to Him to teach us how to live, we would find that under His leadership, we would be led in a way of righteousness, in a way of blessing, in a way that was good and had good results. But we have made earthly things our gods, and we allow them to govern our lives. We allow our desires and lusts for earthly things to lead us in the way we want to go, and it ends up leading us to our deaths. And when we look at these verses in Romans 1, we see that the result of God giving us over to sinful desires is that we end up sinning in terrible ways and do harm to ourselves. Verse 24, God gave humanity over to the lusts and the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Make sure you're back with me in Romans 1. You see that word impurity? This word in Paul often speaks of sexual immorality. Man was created to have strong desires and passions for God, not impure desires, pure, holy desires for God. But now, those strong desires are not directed towards God, but toward other human beings in the form of sexual lust. A gift that God gave us for pleasure and reproduction become an idol to the human race, which is why you can't turn on the TV or listen to the radio or read a typical book without seeing reference after reference after reference to some form of sexual activity. Humanity's in love with it. It's a God. In the Old Testament days, pagans would build monuments in the shape of male body parts and they would go there and get with prostitutes and they called it worship. 
and you read about the Ashereths in your Old Testament, that's what they're talking about. And today's like today. There's an obsession with many for the human body. And instead of treating our own bodies with dignity and treating the bodies of others with dignity, the whole human race as a whole has dishonored itself with shameful acts. Paul was playing on words in verse 24. He says, since we have refused to honor God, God has given us over to the dishonoring of ourselves. In other words, when we fail to hold God in the place of esteem and honor that He deserves, the result is not only that He is Not only that His dignity is lowered in our eyes, but that our dignity as a human race is lowered in our eyes. In a culture where God is not esteemed, man will not be esteemed either. The more our culture rejects God and His glory, the more our culture will reject the dignity of human life. You see it today in abortion. There's one in euthanasia. We also see it in the way people dress themselves, to be quite frank. We see it in the way people treat one another with such a lack of respect. We see it in the way, we see it in the things that our culture celebrates. The kinds of songs that win Grammys, for for example. There's one thing that our race has lost. It's a sense of dignity, of honor. God has given us over to the dishonoring of ourselves. (laughs) Friends, we were created to be rulers of this world. Did you know that? Do you remember that from Genesis 1? You were created to be nobility. His vice regents as He in His grace supplied you with what you needed to rule over the animals and the land and to cultivate it and to bring good and beauty forth from it. You were created to be honorable rulers, but now, because we have rejected God, our dignity, our nobility has been lost. Verse 26. We see that God has given us to dishonorable passions. This word dishonorable is used by Paul as the opposite of the word for glorious. These are unglorious passions. The human race has in its heart passions for things that are the opposite of what makes God good. Foolish passions. Passions for unnatural, ungodly, and immoral things. Now Paul just gives one illustration. He could have given many. The illustration he gives is homosexuality. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So, God has judged humanity 
by giving us as slaves to our sinful desires. And those sinful desires that are in all of us work themselves out in different ways. Some people are more prone towards certain sins than others. But all of us, if we look at ourselves honestly, we'll see evidence of how our slavery to sin is expressed. Maybe for you, it was gluttony. An appetite for food that was beyond what is proper. So that it became a a God in your life. Maybe for you, it was greed. A desire for money and possessions beyond what is normal and proper. So that those things became the things that gave your life meaning and purpose. But of all the different sins Paul could have chosen to illustrate how we've become slaves to these false gods of ours, Paul chose homosexuality. Why? Well, I think it's because homosexuality is such a vivid example, such a vivid external picture of the internal sin that we've all committed and that we all commit. You see, it's easy for Christians to read these verses and immediately jump into gay-bashing mode. It's easy for us to point at homosexuals and say, hey, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Which is true and utterly unhelpful when you're trying to reach a homosexual. It's all too easy for Christian preachers to get in their pulpits and to rail against gay people and to condemn them all to hell. It's all too easy for us to make jokes that mock homosexuals. It's all too easy for us to look upon homosexuals with disdain and to to pride ourselves saying, I'm glad that I'm not like those people. They are, look, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner, but they're perverse. And friends, if that's the way you read this passage, you're reading it wrongly. Because the point of this passage is to say this is an example of the perversion of all of us. It may look different in you, but this is a picture of what happens in your heart every time you exchange the glory of God for the gods of this world. This isn't written just to homosexuals. It's written to all of us. The message of these verses is that we are all perverse in heart. That God created us to be a certain way and we have exchanged what is good, we have exchanged what is proper, we have exchanged what is dignified for a way of life that is a complete distortion of the way we were created to live. When you exchange the glory of God and try and find purpose and meaning and joy in a sport or in sensual pleasures, or whatever it is for you, you are committing a sin as grave as homosexuality. Do I need to say that again? I told you, these verses are meant to humble us. I said earlier, I'm going to bring this to a close, I know I need to. I said earlier that homosexuality is a vivid external picture of the internal sin we all commit. Here's what I mean. Let me close with this. We were created 
to find our joy, dignity, and purpose in God. Yet we forsook that which we were created for and turned to other things that were not created to complete us and satisfy us in that way. And what did verse 23 teach us? That among the things we turn to away from God is to things made in the image of ourselves. Instead of finding joy in God, we look to things which bear our image, which resemble us, mainly the man in the mirror. He's typically my God. We look away from the Creator to the creation. So also, in homosexuality, people turn from that which they were created, namely the opposite sex, and they turn instead to others resembling themselves. Males turn to males. Females turn to females. It is not how God designed us to live. It is not how God designed us to operate. It is a perversion of of His design. And every time that we turn to something that bears our image, like that man in the mirror... Instead of looking to God for whom I was created to find joy and satisfaction, I am living in a perverted version of the way He designed me to live. And that's why Paul uses this example. is to emphasize that. We are broken. We are twisted. We are distorted. And there is no hope for us to get back to the way God designed us apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you know it here. Do you know it here? The depths of your soul. Would you bow your heads with me?